All right, everybody, and welcome back to the new year, another episode of Impartially Biased. I'm Rohan. And I'm Andrew. And this year, Andrew and I have decided to kind of revamp our podcast. Um, You know, in the past, we have been kind of reporting solely fact-based and not really giving our opinion or um, covering a lot of issues that we think are affecting our current society and especially in American global um, society. And so introducing kind of like our new format, um, every Monday we will be analyzing uh, a certain subset of an overall theme. For example, this month's theme will be environmentalism and today's subset will be climate change. Um, We will still also be delivering the news and our opinions on that uh, every Friday. Uh, But on Mondays we will be, or the first episode of the week, um, will always be devoted towards um, kind of this overall theme that we have um and so this month's theme as i stated earlier is environmentalism um and an overall um like subset for today is going to be um the effects of climate change right and i i i think last year we were focusing too much on kind of the broader issues and we were trying to tackle uh issues that were too big to really cover in a 35 minute uh podcast with um news in it too so i think that um us as a podcast, I think structuring it like this will allow us to not only get into more of the detail of the issues, but allows us to bring out our opinion more and um, using the facts that we've compiled to kind of judge and base and kind of have a proper discussion on the issue being presented. Yeah, uh, definitely. And kind of that's where we're kind of headed with this podcast. Um, So I guess we can get into it, Andrew, if you're ready. Um, So today's issue will be um, climate change and the overall theme for this month, the month of January, will be uh, kind of environmentalism. Um, And so, Andrew, if you want to go ahead with what climate change really is. Right. So the definition of climate change, I think, has been thrown around the media and kind of politics for a while now. And kind of the clear and concise definition off of um, Google is that it Climate change is the change in global or regional climate patterns, in particular, a change apparent from the mid to late 20th century onwards and attributed largely to the increased levels of atmospheric carbon dioxide produced by the use of fossil fuels. Now, a lot of the issues that we'll be discussing about aren't going to be solely national issues. This will be these are kind of on a global scale, but we'll also kind of dive into Um, dive deeper into what America as a country can do to help this and how they can cooperate with the world and um, try to find the best solution for it. So I kind of want to deliver some facts about um, climate change. Uh, These are all from NASA where I'm getting these. So um, one of the biggest um, statistics that popped out of me at, uh, at me is that the planet's average surface temperature has risen risen over two degrees Fahrenheit and over one degree Celsius since the late 19th century, but it has been in, uh, accelerating accelerating at an increased um, rate. And by the end of 2100, we can see it almost rise up to six or seven degrees. And this is due to the increased use of carbon dioxide and other human-made emissions into the atmosphere. Also, what jumped out at me is that sea levels have risen over eight inches over the past century. Now, that may not seem like a lot. However, just like the planet's average surface temperature, that is also increasing at an accelerated rate. And we can see up to a couple feet by the end of the century if 
carbon emissions are used at the same pace. And kind of the partisan um, divide right now, most Democrats have um, put climate change as uh, one of their key issues, and a lot more progressives have uh, dived deeper into fighting for climate action with the, with the Green New Deal and other environmental regulations, uh, criticizing businesses and corporations for it. And uh, on the flip side with the conservatives, well, uh, some have acknowledged um, that climate change is, um, exists. Most of them do not view it as much as a threat as the Democrats do. And such prominent Republican figures such as Mitch, Mitch McConnell and Joni Ernst have kind of uh, used the stance of I'm not a scientist, so I don't have a, a general like idea of kind of how to fix it, and that should be left up to the scientists. Yeah. Um, you know, climate change in America is kind of what I'll be talking about right now. Um, as Andrew said, you know, in the past, climate change was a really divisive issue with many Republicans um, straying away from the idea of its existence. Um, but I think a lot more Republicans have come to face the truth because it is a dark reality, in my opinion, that faces us. Um, but a lot of Democrats are also, to an extent, in the same boat as Republicans now, um, that they understand that climate change exists. Um, but many politicians are afraid to kind of take big steps forward on it. Uh, but the, the effects of climate change in the United States are actually really interesting because regionally there are different impacts upon different um, our different regions, which are the Northeast, Northwest, Southwest, Midwest, and the Southwest. Um, and they're kind of currently visible throughout the U.S. and they will continue to affect these uh, regions. And this is coming from NASA once again on uh, their global climate change stance. In the Northeast, you'll see a lot more heat waves, heavy downpours, and sea level rise, um, which will pose uh, a lot of challenges to the life in the Northeast. Infrastructure, agricultural, fisheries, and e ecosystems will be compromised. Um, and so states and cities are beginning to incorporate climate change into their planning. Uh, but in the Northeast, you typically don't see a lot of heat waves, heavy downpours, and the rising sea levels do pose a threat to a lot of the coastal cities in the Northeast. Um, but in the Northwest, there'll be changes of timing of uh, stream flow and reduced water supply for competing demands, which will eventually reach a sea level rise, erosion, inundation, uh, risk to infrastructure and increasing ocean acidity, um, which, as we all know, would lead to increase of wildfires, insect outbreaks and tree disease, um, which is really devastating for the area of the Northeast because a lot of the ecosystem is reliant upon the forest and the nature, um, specifically the water streams. Um, and so if those start getting to fill with acid and um, the tree diseases start spreading, it's going to be really bad for the ecosystem there and the environment there. Um, in the southeast, uh, sea levels will pose widespread threats and they will kind of hurt the region's economy and environment. We already see this playing out in New Orleans and uh, coastal cities in Florida. Um, but furthermore, extreme health, uh, heat will affect our health, energy, agriculture and more, um, which will also lead to a decrease in water availability. And so the impacts of it in the South would be all environmental, but they'll also be economical and related to physical health. Um, in the Midwest, we can expect to see extreme heat, heavy downpours and flooding, which will affect a lot more of the crops in the area. Um, so agriculture, forestry, transportation, air, air, water quality will be tainted. Um, and climate change will also exacerbate a range of risks towards the Great Lakes. Um, in the Southwest, increased heat, drought, and insect breaks uh, will help, will uh, lead to a decline in water supplies, uh, reduce agriculture yields, and health impacts in cities due to heat will rise. Um, and along with just like the southeast, uh, um, there will be a rise in erosion and flooding of coastal areas. Um, and so overall, I think you can see that in the United States, it doesn't look like 
that climate change is just an environmental threat. It looks like it could easily become an uh, economical threat, a political threat, a social threat, and even a socioeconomic threat at the end of the day, uh, which I think is a really dangerous precedent that we're seeing in America right now. Um, and so when wildfires broke out, for example, a piece of news that relates to this um, is that when wildfires broke out in California, many people, um, including the president, doubted the existence of climate change being the reason. But NASA and other organizations have clearly provided evidence that climate change was the reason for an increase in wildfires. Um, and this past season in um, the Northwest and the West Coast uh, kind of proved that climate change is here um, with the increased amount of wildfires, but also the severity of those wildfires. Right. And as you said, kind of um, the, the effects of climate change encompass so many different areas in uh, all throughout the world, whether it's economic issues and social issues. And some uh, effects of climate change aren't evident in some regions, like the rising sea level isn't going to be as much of a problem in Kansas as it is in California, but it's still kind of a global problem. Uh, problem when you talk about kind of the the um a lot of the businesses and kind of where a lot of uh, products are exported from and where a lot of the businesses of like um whether it be food industry or whatever that that could be uh wiped out from climate change and that uh, it has kind of an indirect uh proportionality to the rest of um the united states and this should be treated as much of an issue as any other issue that we're going to be covering later on. Mm -hmm. um, and I also just wanted to kind of state that the United States is also the second largest uh, emission of uh, greenhouse gas emissioner in the world um, behind China and is one of the countries with the highest greenhouse gas emissions per person. So overall, it doesn't look like Americans are living a sustainable life in order to com combat climate change um, overall. Um, and I also don't think that, and we'll get into this in a bit, um, as to whose fault really is it that we are in this dire situation when it seems like. Um, Andrew, is there anything else that you have in um, about kind of climate change in America? No, not really. I think that's pretty much it for that portion. Um, okay. So I think here we can transition to uh, what will be the bulk of our episodes on all things regarding policy, really. Um, and it's going to be our debate. Uh, so Andrew and I have chosen the topic of carbon tax rates um, or a carbon tax. Uh, to debate this time in regards to climate change. Uh, Andrew, do you want to provide an overview as to what a carbon tax is? Yeah, so a carbon tax um, is basically a fee imposed on the burden, uh, the burning of carbon-based fuels, which is uh, coal, oil, gas, and any other um, kind of fossil fuels. And a carbon tax um, is kind of – its aim is for reducing and eventually eliminating the use of fossil fuels whose – combustion is destabilizing and destroying basically our climate. And I think that this is particularly an American issue as a lot of the corporations have kind of relied on using um, fossil fuels for their products, which include uh, plastic and coal, gasoline, all of that. And a lot of these um, companies, uh, I think could be affected by it. But um, when you kind of look at the bulk of it, I'm taking the affirmative side of the uh, carbon tax. So basically I'm, I'm in favor of it because uh, in two ways. So first of all, 
with the carbon tax, it will motivate companies to switch to clean energy. And while that may be kind of a hindrance to a um, to the uh, corporation itself, it will allow them to um, research more cost effective um, options that they may have not considered before, uh, including solar energy, uh, wind energy and kind of water powered sources. Also, um, this will in, uh, increase the price of gasoline and electricity. And while that m- might have a um, an effect on kind of the consumer, especially kind of the lower class, um, this will allow the consumer to become more energy efficient and overall will contribute to an energy efficient society. Um, the taxes are basically probably the best way, I would argue, of um, kind of eliminating these fossil fuels without kind of dismantling the corporations itself. And it's kind of hard to say with with this kind of issue, there's a lot of people who use the he said, she said with like, oh, the corporations are at fault of this and or the individuals are at fault of this. Or is this just a natural occurrence? I I, I would argue that it's pretty much in um, it, all three contribute to the um, kind of the um, the increased amount of fossil fuels used and the um, accelerated rate of climate change. And even oil companies are in support of the tax because um, uh, it, it has allowed them to um, research more cost-effective um, materials and resources that they can use for the company. And um, an example of this, ExxonMobil donated $1 million to a nonprofit that supports the carbon tax. Carbon tax has not been um, imposed in the United States and uh, it doesn't look like there will be any anytime soon, but with all of this evidence, I think it's at least worth a try in some regions to see kind of the effect of the carbon tax and how that kind of plays out. Yeah, um, so this is where kind of Andrew and I disagree. In my opinion, I don't think that we should implement a carbon tax. Um, and kind of my viewpoint on it is that I personally think that when we implement a carbon tax in the end, I don't think that we're protecting the planet, but I think that in the end, we're protecting the profits of the company. Um, while we do need to urgently and massive cut carbon emissions, um, the whole point of carbon tax, in my opinion, is to sustain them because they set different targets that are set for each industry with a higher target in each higher emissions. Companies that emit less than the target earn carbon credits to an extent, if we're looking at Canada's model. Um, while companies that exceed the target just pay the government tax and can um, purchase carbon offsets from other companies to make up the difference. It seems that this is kind of a loophole for companies to continue to um, exploit the resources of our planet um, at the gain of their own personal profit. Uh, and, you know, and furthermore, I think that it's important to see that um, emissions of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases are changing the planet. Um, our carbon tax puts a price on these emissions, which encourages people, business, and government to produce less of them. However, a carbon tax uh, burden would fall mostly on energy-intensive energies, but most especially uh, low-income households. Because what I think would happen um, is that we have to understand that the need for these products, which oftentimes permit, um, produce the most carbon emissions, is an elastic one. Um, and at the end of the day, people still need to buy them. Um, so if the demand for goods is elastic... Um, then consumers will bear more of the carbon tax than the burdens of the investors and the workers, um, and specifically the investors at the end of the day, because the investors will end up profiting from this in some way or another, um, because of the fact that these um, 
demand is less elastic. And so people just need to buy them at the end of the day. Uh, for example, if there's an emission, a carbon tax and it's affecting a water bottle company, at the end of the day, that water bottle company will still produce that, produce that project. Um, and if they go over the government tax, they'll just raise the price of their product. And the, the day, we still need water to survive. Um, and I think a carbon tax would increase the price of burning fossil fuels and any resulting goods and services. So a tax of $40 per uh, ton would also add about 36 cents to the price of gasoline, um, two cents to the average price of kilowatt hour of energy of electricity in houses, houses, and then higher energy prices would raise costs for industry and households, resulting in lower profits, wages, and consumption. Um, but a reduced ca uh, carbon consumption would lower the real cost of climate change and air pollution. But in my opinion, the impact of a carbon tax is kind of negligible. And my evidence for it comes from uh, British Columbia in Canada, who enacted a carbon tax, uh, which was supposed to cut emissions and be revenue neutral by offering low income tax credits. But when implemented into practice, it's been economically regressive, with over 70% of carbon tax rebates going to businesses rather than individuals. Um, and even then, the carbon emission rate has kind of stayed the same over the past 12 years. Um, as a climate policy, the carbon tax that was implemented in British Columbia is kind of weak. Um, and it's weak along the metrics that matter most for policies. It doesn't reduce emissions much. And it doesn't spur much innovation, which is also why I am kind of against this idea of a carbon tax, because I think, in my opinion, as I said earlier, um, it's protecting profits, but it's allowing companies to still use carbon emissions. Um, and if they go over the tax rate, they can just if they go over the amount of allowed rate. They can just pay the fine and kind of raise up their prices and take the hit, because um, at the end of the day, I think that they're pr protecting their wages um, and well, they're protecting their profits, but then they're going to lower wages and raise the cost of um, these items. Okay, so I, I think that this structure, I think, is pretty solid. I think the biggest question that I have for you is, mm -hmm. I, I think with the carbon tax, do you think that the use of carbon is really inevitable? Or is there an alternative to the carbon tax that you think could be implemented that um, kind of helps um, the consumer out rather than the corporation? Well, I think that it's kind of starts with this idea of removing the blame from individuals because I don't think individuals are responsible for climate crisis. I think it's um, corporations. And so to put them in balance, I don't think that you need a carbon tax, but I think you just need upheaval of the system in general. Um, I think the government needs to have a lot more hand in these sorts of things and needs to regulate the climate interests of the people. Um, and instead of a carbon tax, I think a carbon cap would be a lot more efficient, um, capping out the amount that a company can use the carbon um, carbon emission, and then lowering that carbon cap every year, which would force companies to become more innovative. Um, and I also think that would help to kind of protect the prices at the same time, because they couldn't go over and they wouldn't have to pay more, but they would have to find different ways to um, kind of make their product without using fossil fuels. Um, and I think that would also be good because that would also innovate jobs, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, as the climate crisis kind of escalates, we can't afford dead end ideas, in my opinion. Um, while there is a bold kind of version of climate justice that's capable of like speaking to the interests of day-to-day -day workers, which allows them to like, be part of the collective solution to the crisis, I don't think that's possible in America. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think that workers having kind of a say in their company is possible in America right now because it's so corporate-driven. Um, so what I think is needs to happen is a carbon cap where governments need to ensure that um, you know companies don't go over the limit. And if they do go over the limit... Um, you know, instead of just a tax, I think the government would have to do a lot more than that. Um, but that's kind of um, restricting the amount that, that a company can trade or even getting an investigation into that company. Um, I think that a carbon cap would be a better solution and 
would force companies to also innovate new ideas. Yeah, I, I think I kind of agree with you. I haven't really heard a argument like that with a carbon cap. I think the way that you described it makes the most sense and kind of uh, letting the government rather than kind of the corporation have control. And I, I, I think it, that might come to issue with like the left versus right. Mm-hmm. Rather, would you rather have the government have control with it or have the corporations? And I think the, the um, kind of the left argument would be that corporations aren't really you they can't be really held accountable for doing it on their own without uh, assistance for the government rather i think the conservative standpoint would be that um uh the corporations should be able to do it on their own so i think that Mm -hmm. may come at a crossroads with like being a partisan issue in the future Mm -hmm. i think that uh you brought up kind of a tax that um uh, british columbia has enacted um Although I have heard of the tax, I I wasn't really as knowledgeable about it. I knew it kind of mm-hmm. failed. But Sweden actually used a carbon tax uh, back in the 90s that has helped the carbon emissions be reduced by 26%. And during that same period, the economy actually grew 78%. Now, all 78% of the growth of the economy, I mean, doesn't really all rely on carbon emissions, obviously. But... I can't really help but think that that may be a factor. And I'm I'm kind of wondering if maybe there was something else in the British Columbia tax that um, really helped it fail. Mm-hmm. Was it kind of too regional or was it um, was it enacted at the wrong time? I'm I, I think that enacting a carbon tax might depend on kind of the state of the economy, whether or not. Um, enacting it at a time where the economy is low i don't know really when canada enacted it and i mean canada has had a pretty robust economy Mm -hmm. there hasn't been a lot of downfall and uh, but i I think that it would be interesting maybe to compare the two uh, uh kind of carbon taxes to see what went right and what went wrong yeah well i think that also sweden's economy is um i think less reliant on fossil fuels because they've had an uh a carbon tax since like the 1920s. Uh, energy sources were first taxed in Sweden in the 1920s. Carbon tax was instituted in 1991, but there was already energy tax. Um, and Sweden has been kind of a progressive nation um, in, since the beginning. Uh, carbon taxes are just increased in importance. Um, but in their, I think that their um, like economic model is also kind of more homogenous than the Canadian model. Um, and that their exports and resources aren't as reliant on carbon in the, from the beginning. Um, and so, because I think that it worked a lot better, um, and I think that the comparison between British Columbia and kind of Sweden is that also British Columbia hasn't been implemented as long, so maybe we aren't seeing the complete effects of it. Um, but it does look like it is a failure now, and I think that's also just because of maybe it was too localized, um, and it needs to be operated on a grander scale. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I, I think that kind of makes sense. That Sweden's economy is much different in kind of style of government as uh, Canada. I think that um, when you kind of compare the two, there's a lot of differences that kind of point to whether it's environmental policy or kind of tax rate. I think that um, it kind of further cements that it might kind of depend on the economy Mm -hmm. and how and when the carbon tax is implemented. Yeah. And I I think that um, I think it's something to see in the future. I mean, we haven't really 
we have seen the carbon tax be um, enacted in Sweden, but who knows, maybe like a um, enacting a carbon tax in the United States for a long period of time. I wouldn't really, I don't know if it would be the best idea during the COVID pandemic mm-hmm. because the economy is in a decline and I kind of get why um, they would kind of stray away from it from now. But I think once the pandemic improves, I think that maybe doing a test mm-hmm. in some regional area where, uh, carbon is, um, I, I wouldn't really say as much used because if we, if they do kind of like a test in an area where, uh, fossil fuel emissions and carbon emissions are high, then that could kind of be detrimental to the economy. I think if you do kind of a regional test with a tax in an area or a state mm-hmm. where, um, there's high carbon emissions mm-hmm. or, yeah, I, I, well, I think, yeah, with high carbon emissions, I think if they completely do, if they enact a tax immediately, I think that might be kind of detrimental. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think that if if a region's economy is based with based on um, fossil fuels, I think that a quick enactment of a carbon tax might kind of be hurting their portion of kind of like their economic sector. So kind of move to an area with maybe kind of a lower but still kind of a use of carbon emissions so that it might um, it won't hurt as much, but you um, it's kind of, I think that would be a good test trial to see if it actually works or not. And I mean, it, it, it could, it could go both ways. I, I think that um, the idea and principle is good. I think it's always the way that the law is enacted is kind of how it really functions and whether or not it works in society. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if we were to do that model, Andrew, I think it would wor- have worked 15 years ago. Um, but I also do think that the climate crisis has progressed so much. Do you think that it might be too late to do it? Um, and if it were to be in the state, I would suggest Texas, to be honest, because that's where we see a lot of fossil fuels or Oklahoma. Um, but would you, what state would you do it in? Do you think that once the pandemic ends, it might be too late? I, I think that um, to an extent, climate change is inevitable, mm-hmm. but I don't think that should hinder us mm-hmm. as individuals from contributing to a cleaner and more sustainable environment. I think that um, at least kind of preserving it where it is now and trying to slow the acceleration, mm-hmm. at least, I think is the best way to go. When you kind of talk about what state, mm-hmm. I'm not really... Um, I'm not really positive. I think Texas mm-hmm. might be a little too big, uh-huh. but I, I can see where you're coming from because they do have a lot of resources and fossil fuels that they use to kind of um, for their kind of economy. I think that with them being more of a conservative state, I would lean more towards maybe going for a state in the Northeast or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think Texas on a larger scale, um, I think they they have one of the highest uses of fossil fuels. Yeah, they have the I, highest I, I, crude oil production rate anyway, um, by honestly a really big margin. Um, so the reason that I suggest that was because of that, but I think you might be right that it wouldn't pass in that state. Um, but mm-hmm. maybe a state like California who produces, um, who has, uh, I think, the seventh or eighth uh, largest crude oil production in the United States um, would be beneficial. Um, but I also think that maybe doing it in a smaller state like Oklahoma, 
um, or North Dakota maybe, because uh, North Dakota is the second largest crude oil productioner in the state, uh, in the states, um, and maybe it's a small enough sample size to tra- test it out on. Um, but I think my worry is that it's not enough, and it might be too little, too late. Um, especially with scientists predicting that, you know, climate change will have irreversible effects within the next 30 years. Um, and so because of that, I think the threat of climate change is a lot more pressing. Um, and I think that a carbon cap would honestly be a really, it might be a little slow, um, but I think that it might work towards a better idea. Um, do you possibly see a combination of the two ideas? I think so. I think that maybe, um, I think I think to some extent they may kind of contradict themselves. Mm-hmm. I would kind of go rather towards kind of like a regional thing mm-hmm. to kind of test it out. I I do kind of see maybe a scenario where um a tax and a cap could be implemented within like the nation, but I don't really see that anytime soon and if it does happen sometime soon, I don't really view it as effective because I think with a carbon tax and a carbon cap, I think that those two kind of contradict each other with mm-hmm. like when it comes to businesses and stuff. I think that um, it, it might cause um, some kind of conflict within the um, whether the business or the uh, government really has more power in this uh, um, sense. And I think with with the tax, it's more of kind of um, – it, it hinders uh, the government with a cap. It kind of hinders the uh, corporation to an extent. So I, I'm not really sure how they would work in conjunction. Mm-hmm. With yeah, I definitely agree with you. I don't think that this is maybe it's something that centrists may not like, but I think that um, there is no compromise between the two ideals in this one. Um, and I think that mm-hmm. it's one or another. Um, and I think that also there's been policy proposed such as the Green New Deal, but I think that'll be discussed in another environmental episode. Um, but that's something to keep in mind, I think, for in terms of big, uh, like kind of environmental change. Because um, at the end of the day, our main topic is uh, environmental change. So, Andrew, overall, where do you stand on the carbon tax kind of platform now? Uh, where I stand on it, I think that we should hold off from it mm-hmm. from now. However, once the pandemic and the economy is in a um, good state, I think that implementing it in kind of a lesser utilized region but still substantial use of uh fossil fuels i think that it would be a good test run to use kind of a carbon tax there and we can kind of go from there to see if it uh hinders or helps the economy and the consumer and the yeah and i think that i would honestly propose uh, a carbon tax but i wouldn't wait for the recession to be over um because i think that corporations have profited a lot during this pandemic uh, with the upper 1% growing exponentially richer. Um, and so because of that, I think that a carbon cap needs to just be implemented immediately. Um, and I think that's settling our debate on the carbon tax. Uh, and so we're also introducing um, another segment, and it's kind of uh, an interesting one, but it's going to be our hot take of the week. Uh, and in regards to this overall topic of uh, climate change. Andrew, do you want me to go first with my hot take? Um, sure. Okay. My hot take, um, and the way that this format is an overall blanket statement that may co- sound egregious to an extent, um, but then you explain it for about thirty seconds. Um, so my hot take uh, is that corporations, that individuals, are not to blame at all for the climate crisis, and it's only corporations. 
Um, and I think we see that pretty clearly in the need to exploit for labor and the need for exploitation of resource in order to create a profit that we've seen from corporations. Um, and overall, we see this trend kind of fueled, especially looking at, um, you know, the effects of colonization to an extent uh, where, you know, people went into other countries and went in for other resources. Um, but the version of a green economy, but also go in glove and hand in hand with the fight to end colonialism. Um, we see this in countries, modern countries as Canada, but even in the United States where we have um, territories that we've constantly exploited for their own resources. Um, you know, it's been a need for profit in the end of the day. Um, and that's why I think that, you know, individuals are not to blame. And I think that was a myth created by corporations in order to kind of distract from the fact that, um, you know, climate change is an existential threat caused by them. Um, and so in my opinion, I don't think that one person by doing all sorts of actions can work. Um, but collectively, we can make a s smaller difference. But I think the most significant different for difference in reversing this trend of climate change um, comes from the companies and not on individuals. Hmm. I, yeah, I think that to an extent, I agree with you. I think that um, corporations, I think, may be at kind of the root of this. But I think that the individuals use the corporations to... Um, or, or the corporations rely on individuals to buy their products. So if individuals kind of shy away from like companies that kind of exploit the resources, I think that, and I, I kind of agree with you, it's somewhat inevitable. One person can only do so much, but I think if we collectively as a whole kind of shy away from some of these businesses that um, kind of exploit these natural resources, I think that we can see a better effect. I think, I think my um, hot take is that, the U.S. in the next 20 years will basically get no progress with environmental uh, mm -hmm. legislation. I, I don't think that we have the capacity for the people in government to enact any sort of um, regulation that would either a kind of um, put put some kind of tax or regulation on businesses or be um, I think may, maybe you might see something from deforestation and the Green New Deal. I think that you might see something from there. But I don't think that with the partisan divide in the country right now, I don't really see us getting any progress done anytime soon. I think 20 years in the future, it's kind of hard to see from now. I mean, 20 years ago was 9-11. And if you really kind of look back in, in 2001 to where we are today, and nobody could have predicted we're at the state that we are. And I think that... 20 years in the future is still a long ways away. However, I think that um, right now in the state of the government, we're never we're not going to see any major legislation regarding climate change. You know, Andrew, I think that's honestly a pretty base take. I don't think I disagree with you on that. Um, I don't think until Gen Z gets into power, will we really have any effects on climate change? Um, the Biden Harris administration is proposing some level of climate change legislation. Um, my only, I think... The only thing, reason that I see that kind of uh, maybe faltering out or being proven wrong is if this Georgia Senate election uh, flips the Senate, because then I do think that we will see climate change policy come out of the left um, and come out of both chambers of Congress. Um, but if we continue to have kind of a split Congress, um, then I 100% agree with you. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that our hot take segment, um, that's wrapping it up. Um, but at, at the end of every podcast, we still want to... Uh, talk about coronavirus uh, and kind of talk about what happened in the month of December. Uh, 
December was obviously the most deadly and infectious month of the pandemic. Uh, 77,000 people died of coronavirus this month, past month, with over 6.4 million contracting the virus over the month. We topped over 20 million cases. Um, Over 350,000 people have died as of January 1st. Um, You know, it's shocking um, seeing that we're hitting over 200,000 cases a day, over 3,000 deaths a day. Um, But it it kind of makes it look like there is no end in sight anymore. Um, Andrew? Yeah, I think that every podcast we say the same thing. Like, this kind of overshoots our projection. And this, to some extent, kind of is along with our projection. We kind of expected that Christmas was going to be the huge hitting point with the pandemic and the holiday season with everybody traveling. And I, I still kind of hold firm in my stance that the peak will be probably two weeks away. And that's not to discard that the virus hmm. still exists. It's it's still a problem. It it will still be a problem into the Biden administration and into the spring. We can only hold so much optimism. I think that optimism is probably the best thing that we can do at this point. And I think that um, with vaccine distribution kind of wonky and murky at this point, I think we kind of have to put the faith into the people distributing and kind of everything. I mean, we don't really know all the factors going on behind it. But at the same time, I think we should hold hope and do as much as we can to uh, hold ourselves accountable and kind of protect ourselves from... um, contracting the virus or um, helping others um, not contract. The yeah, virus. definitely. Um, and I think that's kind of where we stand right now. I also was kind of surprised at how Christmas was saw, especially after the Thanksgiving surge and devastating effects of it. Christmas saw over 1.5 million traveling um, with a plane over planes um, with over 80 million people driving um, to different locations. And so, um, you know, if you travel, try to quarantine if possible, um, and I think that we have to just remain cognizant of the time that we live in. We can't be desensitized to the virus. Um, and I think that's kind of really it for this. Um, Andrew, is there anything that you're looking forward to within the next week? Um, in all honesty, not really. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to the new year kind of starting off strong. I yeah. think I've started off semi-strong so far, but hopefully we can uh, – I can do my best and everybody else can do their best to uh, keep themselves healthy, keep everybody else healthy and be the best version of themselves that mm-hmm. we can be. I think I'm looking forward to seeing what the results of the runoff election will be in Georgia. Um, and will Georgia turn blue for a second time? Um, unprecedented, who would have thought? But I don't know. I don't. I really have no clue how it's going to turn out. Um, hopefully we have the results by the time for next podcast. Um, but you know, I think, uh, I hope that you guys enjoyed our kind of new format for this. Um, and I think as always, I'm Rohan and And I'm in the next episode. Thank you.